0: Father, uh, we do thank you tonight for the opportunity that we have, God, to study your word. And I do pray that, Lord, as we look at this, as we kind of wrap up uh, looking at this, this is Zechariah and God, his ministry to generations ago. And Lord, yet he's speaking generations ahead of us, probably. And I thank you that, God, that you don't have a beginning, you don't have an end, I thank you you're not bound by time and that you can speak to every generation where they're at and you can predict what's coming, you know what's coming. So Lord, I pray that as we, as we look at this that it would encourage us to know and understand our God is in control. Our God is working his plan. And, Lord, that you're going to get things done exactly the way you want to get things done. So bless this time. And, again, give us ears to hear and hearts that are pliable. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, remember that uh, that Zechariah is speaking to a group of discouraged people. We need to keep that in mind. They started to rebuild the temple. They came back from captivity. They started to rebuild the temple. And then, man, the old timers came against them that's not the way we did it back then you know those things and you know by the way that's a drag when you say that don't say that to people you know that's just not good and so they're hassling they discouraged them so they got that discouragement from within and then from without the nations around them said bottom line i'm just going to paraphrase it we're going to come and beat you up if you don't quit building that temple you know, we're gonna come and, 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 and take care of things. So all of that's going on. So as we've been looking, Zechariah had all of those visions in the beginning and he had them all in one night and talked to them and let them know, hey, you know what, God's in control. And then we've, we looked at, you know, the Lord again encouraging them through prophecy and then tonight, tonight, these three chapters all kind of deal with the same thing, the end times. 16 times he's going to say, in that day. That day is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is not, listen, not necessarily when Jesus comes back. The day of the Lord is the judgment God is bringing and that whole tribulation period and going on into the kingdom. And Zechariah is going to see all of that at once and even a little bit of the first time Jesus came. And i like to remind us, remember, prophets didn't like divvy it up as they're seeing these visions, like this is the first coming, this is the second coming. And then this is going to happen. They just saw it all as one event. So, you know, sometimes when I read this, I think, you know, they're in heaven now. And I think, man, they must have been shocked. Like, wow, I said that and that's kind of not really what I saw, you know, and and type of thing. So, uh, you know, you have that. And once again, he's speaking to people who are discouraged, who are put down, who are probably, I think in some ways, man, they're ready to give up. And here's what he's going to tell them. God is going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to rule and reign. And in order for, listen, in order for that kingdom to come, even, and he's speaking about the future kingdom. He's speaking about the millennium. And as he looks out there, in order for that to happen, two things have to take place. Number one, there has to be an overthrow of all the Gentile countries that are against Israel. Now, think about in their day, they had all these countries against them. And think about today. Today, there are countries who who deny the right for Israel even to exist. A couple times we've been to Jordan and we've gone to Petra and what always intrigued me going into Jordan is if you got a map of the Middle East in Jordan, Israel's not on the map. And you go in other Middle Eastern countries. I've not been to other like Syria and different places, but I'm sure in their maps, there's no nation of Israel. It doesn't, in their minds, it doesn't exist. And whenever I think about that, I think, they might have should read. Zechariah twelve, thirteen, and 14 to kind of find out what's coming their way so in order for that messianic kingdom to come the gentile world powers have to be wiped out and then also the, the Jews have to be brought back in but not just brought back to the country they need to be brought back to God like, Israel today is a secular nation. It's not, listen, they're not believers. They're not, they're not you know, they're not, they're not good Jewish believers. Obviously, they're not Christian. And so, they are a secular nation. God has to move to bring them back to him and recognize him. So, that's what, bottom line, that's what Zechariah is going to talk about. And so, as he does this, listen, in this first part, in, in, in chapter 12, in the very beginning, he's going to talk about the physical restoration, then in the rest of chapter 12 and all of 13 he's going to talk about the spiritual restoration of Israel and then 14 is kind of going to bring it all together and summarize it all once again and bring it together so that's kind of an outline so now you know what we're going to talk about we can pray and go home no, let's, let's do this. Let's read this and, and get through this. So once again, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, he says, The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus says the Lord who stretches out the heaven, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Now, I think in verse 1, I think in verse 1, you could span three different messages on verse 1. Here's what Zechariah is letting him know the Lord who's speaking to you through me, he's the one who created everything. He's letting them know that he's the creator God, not just the generic God, not just the, you know, a God that you can carry around or a God that you can put on your dashboard or a God that you can put in your pocket or whatever. He's the God who made, and I love the way he puts it. Listen, he's the God who stretched out the heavens. Here's what Zechariah is saying to those discouraged people. And if you're discouraged tonight, when you leave go out and look at the heavens god stretched those out god created all of that and and hey he flung those stars i love hey we live in an area where we can still see stars right some of you go i haven't a clue man i don't look up at night but hey it's amazing and listen he stretched out so hey he made all of the heavens and then he said hey And he made the foundation of the earth, the thing we walk on, this thing we live in. And so God created all of the heavens. He created the earth. And then greater than that, what does he say? He forms the spirit within man. All human beings are created in the image of God. Don't ever forget that. You know, it's not about, listen, it's not about race or ethnicity or any of that. Every human being is created in the image of God. We get that in our hearts, man. It changes how we look at people. When you look at somebody and you realize that person was created in the image of God, you're gonna treat them a whole lot different than if you just look at them as, as, you know, just this person. So here's what Zechariah is saying. You guys, you guys, I know you're discouraged, but think about this. Think about this one who now is speaking to you And he's the one who did all of that. Listen, it's going to lift you up a little bit, right? Even tonight, some of you maybe came in discouraged. And right now you're going, yes, I feel a little bit better. I'm glad I came to church tonight. And then he gets into what's going to happen, and here's what I love. Now he's going to talk about the physical deliverance of of Israel, and in that he's going to talk about the judgment against these Gentile nations. So verse 2 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people who would heave it away and will surely be cut in pieces though the nations or though all the nations of the of the earth are gathered against it so listen he's using two he's using two illustrations or two metaphors here and, and here's what he's talking about man. he's talking about people who drink too much he's talking about people who think they're tougher than they are and he's saying hey when that happens here's what's going to happen man people who drink too much get out of control and people who think they're tougher than they are, they're gonna come up against this rock, and it's gonna be immovable, and it's gonna shred them. So here's what he's saying, man. When you come against Israel or Jerusalem, you're coming against me. And once again, man, sometimes, as I listen in the news and I hear people say things about Israel, I just think, wow, maybe you should just read those two verses. It should sell your heart on what's happening and, and how God views things. So he lets them know that and that judgment is coming and that's going to come against them. And then he tells them, he goes on and says, In that day, says the Lord in verse 4, I will strike every horse with confusion and its riders with madness. Now, here's what you need to understand. He's, talking, he's, not, talking about, he's not talking about the horses that belonged to Israel because he probably didn't have many horses. Remember, Remember, according to the law, they weren't supposed to gather horses. Even their king was not supposed to have horses, right? That's one of the blunders that that Solomon made when he became king. His two big blunders, women and horses. So he blew it in that area. So listen, they weren't supposed to be all about that. So here's what God's saying. All of these nations that have come in, so kind of get this picture, and we'll see it more in, in, in chapter 14. All of these nations have come in to crush Israel, He's bottom line, he's talking about, for homework, you can read Revelation 16 and 19. Well, you should probably read 16, 17, 18, and 19. In the dark, outside. <laughs> it's always good to do that. But hey, he's talking, about, he's talking about the world gathering together, that battle we call Armageddon. He says, hey, when they come in, their horses are gonna come in, and their horses are gonna get confused. Now, I'm not, I'm not a person, I mean, I rode horses a little bit when I was a kid, not much. So I'm not a big horseman type. But one thing I know is you don't want to have a horse that's messed up, right? You don't want to get on a horse where his GPS has gone nuts. <laughs> and, and, uh, and here's what God says, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up their GPS system. They're going to be confused. They're going to be messed up. And the riders are going to be like madmen. Here's what God is saying. Israel, it's going to look bad. He says, you think it's bad now? It's going to get worse in that day. But I got this. I'm gonna do this. So again, he says the riders will be in madness in the middle of verse four. And I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and I will strike every horse of the people, meaning the Gentiles, with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength, in the Lord of hosts, their God. Here's what's happening. The people in in Judah are gonna look at Jerusalem. They're gonna understand God is doing things here and we're gonna be protected. So in that day, verse six, in that day, again, that the end times, I will make the governors of Judah a fire pen in the, whole, uh, in the whole wood pile, and like a fiery torch in the sheaves, they will devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. And in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them. in that day shall be like David. The house of David shall be like God, like an angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will, uh, that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So God is letting him know, here's what he's saying. Even the worst army guy, the weakest, the 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 puniest, the worst guy we have in the army is gonna be like King David. King David, remember, was was a great, great uh, a military guy right so he's letting them know you guys I got this and I'm gonna take care of you and you're gonna survive this so he lays all that out and in that last verse again you know it's something that I think should be paid attention to in that day I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem I don't believe listen I don't believe God has ever changed his mind on that I don't believe today God is saying you know what yeah Jerusalem is kind of pfft, not real happy with them No, God hasn't changed his mind. That's just as valid today as it was in Zechariah's day. And Zechariah was speaking in the future as it's going to be in that day, even in our future. So that's kind of the physical thing. Now now he's going to get into the spiritual part of it. And and, uh, part of it is going to talk about when Jesus actually comes back. He's going to go ahead, back up. Go ahead and back up. Prophets do that often. So, verse 10 and I will pour out, or I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they've pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for, the, for a firstborn. So, listen to what he's saying. Who are they going to look on? jesus the one they've pierced when jesus comes back but i want us to notice something because this is vitally important they repent when jesus comes back but there's no repentance without the spirit did you hear what comes first i will pour out my spirit upon them and spiritually, listen, this is, you can't, you can't work up certain things, you know. Sometimes as Christians, I think we, we try and work something up. I want to fill this and I want to get it worked up. And, and I understand music is a great motivator and, and I love worship and I love the fact that we can gather together and we have musicians who uh, bless us with their, their talent and stuff. But you, hey, you can't work stuff like this up. It's a work of the Spirit in your heart. And he's saying, first, I will pour out my spirit of grace on the house of David. Then, then they're gonna see him come and they're gonna look and they're gonna mourn. They're gonna have that gift of repentance and they're gonna change And, and I kind of love that whole scene. Think about Jesus coming back and we're gonna read in a, in a little bit. He's gonna come back and split the Mount of Olives. Think of Jesus coming back and, and all of a sudden, man, these people, because the spirit of God has been poured out on them, they're gonna know exactly what they did. How they rejected him and pushed him away, and they 're going to change and then and then I love this. listen verse eleven, in that day, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the morning at at Hadad Raman in the pl- in, in in the plain of Megiddo again, for that that was when King Josiah was slain. 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles chapter 25. You can read that for homework. You can jot that down. When Josiah was slain, they mourned. Listen, Josiah was like the last hope for for Judah. And he was slain and they mourned. So go back and read that. And he says, just like this, man, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be that time of mourning because they're going to realize what they've done. And he says, just like then, and then, and then listen to this in verse 12. And the land, sh- the land shall mourn. Every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves. So first of all, listen, royalty, right? Those born in that royal line of David, they're gonna mourn. So he talks about the kingly line and their wives, and then he says, and then the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves. Now he's talking about the house and prophets, the family of prophets, they're gonna mourn. They're gonna be uh, uh, the people who recognize what happened. Verse 13, then the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of Shimei by itself. Itself and their wives by themselves. Now the priestly line. Get what what Zechariah is saying. This is going to affect the kingly line. This is going to affect the prophet prophet line. This is going to affect the priestly line. And then lastly, everybody else, all the families in verse 14 that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. So they're all going to repent. They're They're going to be there in mourning, and you get this picture, man, of I think a glorious day. I know some people, listen, some people, they think repentance and mourning is bad. I think repentance and mourning is wonderful. When you realize what you've done and you're sorry for what you've done and it grips your heart and you're in that place, that's a good thing because you're set free from that. So now, listen, now in, in verse one of chapter 13, in that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David. So I kind of get this. Listen, Jesus is coming back. They're going to look on him whom, mo- who they, whom they mourned. They're going to look on him, him whom they pierced, and they're going to be mourning, and this is going to be pouring out. And then this kind of floodgate, listen, I don't think he's talking about a literal fountain. I think he's talking about this fountain of the Spirit and this fountain of, of kind of revival. It's going to open up, and repentance is going to open up across the nation of Israel at that time. So here's what he's saying, man. This fountain of of the house of, uh, I'm sorry. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. Here's what God is saying. I'm gonna clean everybody. Don't you love the idea that God cleans us? I don't know about you guys, but I really needed to get saved when I got saved. And I I, I needed the Lord. And he cleaned me. I didn't get all cleaned up. Listen, man, I didn't didn't go and get all scrubbed up and, and get rid of everything and then come to Jesus. I came to Jesus in pretty bad shape. And he cleaned me. He changed me. And that's what's gonna happen, man. Listen, all this uncleanness, and then he talks about things. Verse two, it says, It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they shall no longer be remembered. And I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. So here's what God is saying. When Jesus comes back, things are going to change so radical. And we're going to look at it a little bit. Listen, in, in, in chapter 14, we're going to look at, when Jesus comes back, it's going to change so radical. It's not just, listen, it's not just him returning It's the whole world changing. Whether we're talking about light and illumination, whether we're talking about topography, whether we're talking about climate, it's all gonna change. When whenever I hear people talking about climate change, we need to fix the world, we need to save this world, here's what I know. We're not gonna save this planet. I don't mean to be a bad guy, but we're not going to say, Now I think we should take care of it. Why? Because God gave it to us and said, take care of it. And if we're not taking care of it, we're not being good stewards of what he's given us. But here's what else I know. We're not going to save it. Jesus is going to save it, but we're not. So here's what he's saying, man. I'm going to come and I'm going to clean everything. I'm going to get rid of the the unclean spirits. I'm going to get rid of the false prophets. I'm going to get rid of the idols. Wouldn't that be great if he came like right now? And get rid of all of that. Man, just imagine a world without people trying to dupe you into things, without, you know, without demons around. And I I think most of us, we sin enough without demons. It kind of bothers me when, when people say, well, you know, the demons made me do that. No, you kind of figured that out on your own. I hate to tell you that, but you kind of did. But listen, it would be good not to have and and all of that be cleaned up. So Jesus saying, I'm going to come and do that. Now listen to what He says about prophecy in verse three. This is this is during the millennial reign. Listen to what He says. It shall come to pass that if anyone shall anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, You shall not live because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and his mother who begot him shall thrust him through when he prophesies note to self do not prophesy during the millennium just mark that down don't think you're going to be some great prophet and you're going to do those things obviously obviously listen if Jesus is ruling and reigning we won't need prophets and when someone's come along doing that, they're false. So he says, listen, even their mom and dad are going to be uh, involved in that. And then it says in verse 4, And it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they will not wear the robe of, of coarse hair uh, to deceive, but he will say, kind of like this, I am no prophet, I'm, I'm a farmer. A man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. So here's what's going on. You go up to Zechariah during the millennium, and he's going to say, uh-uh, uh-uh, man, I'm just a farmer. I'm not a prophet. Because once again, it's not going to be necessary. So listen, they're going to kind of, quote, push that away, which is a good thing. you got to remember the generation he's speaking to. Lots of false prophets. Lots of stuff going on. And then, then he ends that with, and One will say to him, what are these wounds uh, between your arms? And then he will answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now, some people say this last verse that we just read here, uh, verse 6, is about Jesus. I don't think it's about Jesus. I don't think it's talking about his wounds. Here's what I think it's talking about. And that generation, that culture, they would cut themselves for idols and for worship and they would, they would, as they worship the different gods and the different idols, they would, they would mark themselves and cut themselves. And here's what he's saying, you're gonna look at those and you're gonna know they're a false prophet because they have those cuts on them. And where did those cuts come from where, where they were a house of a friend or when I was, at, you know, at this place worshiping idols? So I believe that's what he's talking about there. Now he kind of backs up again. Look at verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. Sound familiar? did we just read that in, in Matthew, those of you who uh, show up on Sunday and don't sleep? <laughs> right? We just did that in Matthew. We just Jesus just, as he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane, just said and quoted this passage. And listen to what happens. Listen. He says, hey, they're going to be scattered. Listen to what's going to happen to Israel from that time. Verse 8. And it shall come to pass in the land, says the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it, and I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. I will test them as gold is tested, and they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. God's talking about a refining taking place, and I believe obviously he's talking about the refinement of Israel right before Jesus comes back or when he comes back, but he also, hey, are you, are you feeling like you're kind of getting burned up right now? Are you feeling like there's something going on in your heart? Maybe it's just a little bit of refinement. You know to get gold you got to burn away the dross. Hey I worked I worked for Phelps Dodge. I did mining. Hey when you mine, you don't just get the ore right out and go, "Oh, look, I got a you know, a pound of copper here." You get, you know, 100 pounds of pfft, and you got to burn it all and melt it to get what's in there, and out of that hundred pounds, you might get, you know, a pound of copper out of that. And here's what God is saying. I gotta burn some dross. None of us like that. I don't think any, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, Lord, can we burn some dross today? I just want a little dross burned out of me. I need this refinement. We don't, but he knows. And sometimes, man, when our world's going upside down and everything's going crazy for us, here's what we need to understand. A little dross is being burnt. Now here he's talking about a whole nation, but we can apply that to ourselves. Now now we jump into 14, right? And it says, behold, verse one, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the house refined I'm sorry, the house rifled and the women ravaged. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against the nations as he fights in the day of battle. Here's what's going on, man. When the Antichrist breaks that treaty with them and comes in and begins the war against them, it's gonna look like Israel's losing. It's gonna look bad for them. And here's what God says, don't worry, I'm gonna show up. I'm going to be there for you, and then he goes on to say, "And in that day, verse four, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west." Jesus is going to come back, and listen carefully. He's not come. He's not coming back like this big, giant, huge, you know, thing. (laughs) He's going to come back real life size. And when he hits the Mount of Olives, it's gonna split. Hey, if hey if a big like Jolly Green Giant steps on the Mount of Olives and splits, no big deal, right? But if Jesus comes back, life size, hits the Mount of Olives, and it splits, people are gonna take notice right? And so he's talking about, listen, he's going to come back. He's going to do it. Mount of Olives shall be split from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half toward the south. So once again, here's a little topography change, right? Jesus is going to come back. The topography is going to change the actual topography of Israel, is going to go through a traumatic change, starting here with this with this uh, 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 earthquake, if you will, the splitting of the Mount of Olives, and now you have this huge valley that wasn't there before. I don't know about you guys, but I read this and think that would be freaky. Oh, and then the water, right? And then he says, listen, well, we'll get to that in a minute. He says, then you shall flee through my mountain valley for the mountain valley uh, shall reach to Ezel and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, uh, the king of Judah. So in Amos 1 is the only place where it's recorded about that earthquake that happened during Uzziah's time. It's not recorded in in secular history. And I know some people, well, if it's not in history, maybe it didn't happen. Here's what I found. Every time history doesn't mention something and my Bible does, along comes an archaeologist in the Middle East digging along, and all of a sudden, kink, he hits a rock, and he goes, oh, the Bible was right. So, hey, if the Bible says there was an earthquake, there was an earthquake. I don't care what secular history says. So here's what he's saying. That earthquake happened. You're gonna be living during that same time and it shall come to pass, verse six, in that day that there will be no light and the lights will diminish. So now, illumination. So get this picture. Jesus is coming back. The topography shifting and we're gonna read. It's really gonna shift. There's gonna be things lowered and things raised and this valley happening and then also you got, now listen, now it starts getting dark and there's no light. It's a little spooky, right? But wait. He says, and there will be no light, and the light shall diminish, verse 7. And it shall be one day which no one which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but evening time it shall happen, that it will be light. You see, we're not going to need the sun when Jesus comes, because he's going to be the light so you have the illumination changing. Oh, and then some more topography here. And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, which is the Dead Sea. The eastern sea is the Dead Sea. Now, I don't know if you know why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because water flows in, but nothing comes out. And it sits and gets stagnant. And that's a problem. Like the the Sea of Galilee, when we go to Israel, you can see where the water comes in and where the water goes out. Dead Sea, it just goes in. And, you know, the the guides always like to say, it's not completely dead. There's some, like, microcosm living in there. Okay, (laughs) whoopee. So they don't don't even refer to it as the Dead Sea anymore because they don't like that term. But it is the Dead Sea, and it's fun to float in. So here's what here's what's going to happen though fresh water is going to come and Ezekiel those of you who have been around for a while remember when we studied Ezekiel I love that one passage in Ezekiel. Here's what he said. And fishermen are going to be in Engedi, which is right there on the on, you know, a little ways, I, I would say on the banks of the Dead Sea, but not really. It's a ways back. But it's in that wilderness, Engedi. And he says, fishermen will stand in Engedi and catch fish out of that sea. So that fresh water is going to come from Jerusalem, flow in there, change everything. Oh, and then also in the middle of verse 8, and half of them towards the western sea, which is a Mediterranean, both summer and winter it shall occur occur hey climate's going to change when Jesus comes back you need to understand that so we've got climate change we've got topography change we got illumination change things are going to change oh and verse 9 and the Lord shall be king over all the earth and in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is and, and his name one and it shall be I'm sorry, and all the land shall be turned into a plain. So now everything's going to go down. Get this picture. And it's going to go flat, right? Man, I wish we could do this graphically and kind of build this thing. But hey, it's going to go flat. And from uh, Geba to Ramon, south to Jerusalem, Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited. So here's what's going to happen. All around Jerusalem, and if you've been there, there's little hills and stuff around. It's all going to go flat. And then Jerusalem's going to go, and it's going to be raised up. Is that going to be cool? I mean, you just think about watching all this. So here's, Jesus is going to come. The Mount of Olives is going to split. And then you're going to get this valley. And then out of this valley, all of a sudden, water's going to start running to these two seas. In the meantime, the light show starts, right? And it goes dark, and then it gets bright. And then, hey, and then all of a sudden, all of the, all the topography goes, and Jerusalem goes, doesn't it sound like a movie? You kind of, yeah, you're ready for that, right? And Jerusalem is raised up, and hey, the city is whole. Listen to what he says. He says, Jerusalem shall be raised up in the middle of her stand and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and, and the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine press. Here's what he, he's describing the gates. The very gates are going to be there. Now think about this. These guys haven't built those gates yet. And here's what Zechariah's saying. They're going to be there. You know what that, You know what happens when someone says that? You go get your mortar, and you go get your stones, man, and you start laying rock, and you start building that. I'm going to build that gate, right? He says all of that's going to happen. And then verse 11, and the people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Listen, today Jerusalem is not safely inhabited. The only reason that Jerusalem is not attacked. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys keep track. But there's rockets going off in Israel all the time. They just quit reporting it cuz it's so often. One of one of our one of our guys, Pastor Pastor Ryan got this <laughs> he got this alert for his phone that would send a buzzer every time a rocket hit in Jerusalem, in Israel. He had to turn it off. It's like, all night long, it's keeping them up. Hey, there's rockets going off all the time, and, and so don't get that app unless you want to stay up. But hey, you need to understand that, and the reason they don't send rockets to Jerusalem, because here's the thing, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is there, and they, they can't hit that. They can't, they can't, so they've got to be careful where they're, and, and their rockets, they really stink for guidance, Like, they're they're not accurate one bit whatsoever. So they're not gonna shoot anything that way. But it's still not safe. There's other things that happen. And he says, there's gonna come a time when it's gonna be safe. Now, you know, I don't wanna say it's that, quote, dangerous. We go there all the time. I don't feel threatened. But it's not a place of peace right now. And we need to know that. So he says, listen, man, Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Verse 12, and it shall be and this shall be the plague with which the lord strike will strike the people who fought against jerusalem now look up don't read on for a minute this is something that should go in the news this is something that should people should understand here's what god is saying you fight against israel here's what i'm going to do they think they're going to win they think they're going to do good look at listen to this plague now, listen to what he describes in verse 12. Their flesh shall be dissolved while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. And their tongue shall dissolve in their mouths. That doesn't sound good. I mean, it obviously sounds like a, a, a nuclear uh, weapons and stuff. But here's what God is saying. That's what happens when you come against my people. Wow. Wow. I think if I was a leader in the Middle East country, well, I would probably if I grew up in that environment and had all that in me, I'd probably hate Israel. But man, you, you wish they would read this and understand they're fighting a losing battle. Doesn't It matter, doesn't matter right now if they win. doesn't matter if they take people out. This is eventually their, their end and what's gonna happen. And then he says in verse 13, and it shall come to pass in that day that a great, Panic from the Lord will be among them, and everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. And Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such also shall shall be the plague on the horse and the mule on the camel and the donkey and all the cattle will be in those camp all the cattle that will be in those camps so shall this plague be here's what god's saying doesn't matter what you have that's the end so that's kind of gross now we got to get into something good because we don't want to stop there Verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year and worship the king, uh, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of tabernacles. So here's what's going on. Once it's all over and Jesus sets up his kingdom, there's going to be Gentiles who go into the millennial kingdom. They're going to be believers, and they're going to go in. (coughs) <coughs> and here's what he says, once a year you're gonna go and you're gonna celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Now I find that interesting and I challenge you, do a study in Exodus of the feasts, the different feasts, there's seven of them. And do a study of those feasts and correlate that, all of them have been fulfilled in, in kind of a, 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 a type way, whether we're talking about the Passover, right? Jesus came and died, whether the, the Feast of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. All of them have been fulfilled except one, the Feast of Tabernacles. And here's the thing. The Feast of Tabernacles was the one that was a huge celebration. It wasn't wasn't a mourning of anything. It wasn't a repentance of everything. It was celebrating the in-gathering. It was celebrating all the crops you got. It was celebrating the fact that God brought them out out of Egypt. And he says, here's, and some people say, the whole millennium is the Feast of Tabernacles. So, hey, they're going to go and they're going to celebrate that. And then those who don't, they're not going to get stuff, right? Verse 17, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth that do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there shall be no rain. So you have to remember, believers are going into the millennium, but they're going to procreate, have children, and just because your parents are believers doesn't make you a believer, right? Thank you. Three of you nodded your head. The rest of you not so sure. So here's the thing. They're going to have children, and those children are going to rebel, and some are going, I'm not going up to Jerusalem. I do not want to go up there? I don't even like that king. Although it's Jesus, they're not going to like him, right? So here's what he says. You don't come and worship me, you don't get any rain. Says who's in control, right? And then, verse 18, if the family of Egypt... I don't know why he points out Egypt. Some of the commentators said all these things and picked on Egypt. I think he just like picked on a country nearby. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. Thus, or this shall be the punishment of Egypt and a punishment of the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So here's what he's saying you're going to have a choice, and choice is still going to matter in the millennium, and you cannot go up. Now, verse 20 in that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. Do you hear what he's saying? Hey, you would expect the priest's bells, right, on their little robes to have holiness to the Lord, but on your horses? Listen carefully. Let's let's read this because I think this is important for us to get a hold of for us. He says, on the horses, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And in that day there shall be no tongue, or no longer, in that day no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Here's what he's saying. Canaanites were, were the unbelievers who came against Israel, just a kind of a generic, not talking about ethnicity. But here's what he's saying, and get this, this is important. Everything, everything during the millennium is an act of worship to the Lord. Let's take it to us. Our lives should be a continual act of worship to the Lord. We don't have secular and holy. It bothers me when some people go, well, you know, my secular life is, well, if you have a secular life, you're blowing it. You see, everything we do should honor God. And everything we should do should be spiritual. Your job that you perform when you go and you do your job, you should do your job as unto the Lord. And you should honor the Lord with your job and with your work. And you should go that direction. And I think that's very important. And, and hey, during the millennium, people are going to do that. But I think even now, as believers, we should be fleshing that out, so to speak. Not walking in a flesh, but fleshing out this whole idea. Everything I do is spiritual. Don't, don't separate your life. It bothers me when people try and compartmentalize their life. Don't compartmentalize your life. Make every hour, every moment a vital relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge here, as we read this and and look at what was going on here with with Zechariah and that group and and Lord, how powerful to know and to understand that here's this guy like twenty five hundred years ago, talking about things that are still in our future as if they were happening right in front of him and God, I pray, I pray that. We would know and understand that even when things in our world aren't going the way we planned for them to go, even when there's disruptions, and some of them, some of them I know are earth shattering and, and really rock our world, and some of them are kind of minor and, and just an inconvenience. But God, I pray that we would know and understand that you're working and and those things that come our way, they're for our good and our benefit and that we would embrace them and that we would believe that God, you have the very best for us in every detail of our life, that you're concerned that our lives would be lived to their fullest potential. So let us understand that. And we thank you for the challenge of your word tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.